Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, hello there, everyone. Glenn Blakeney here, and welcome to the Kingdom Community Show. Today, we're going to discuss an important topic, culture, and specifically, kingdom culture. Culture plays a vital role in any organization, whether it's a church, a business, or even our families. It defines the ideas, customs, and actions of a people. And in the case of the kingdom of God, it's all about cultivating kingdom culture, which means establishing a culture that reflects the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and embodies the values and principles of the kingdom of God. It's so important that we have kingdom culture in all that we're doing and that we see it replace those things that are toxic and do not reflect the values of the kingdom of heaven. We have eight specific kingdom culture values that I'm going to be sharing with you in this session. Thank you so much for following us, and God bless you guys. Wonderful. All right, so we're going we're gonna to jump into the session, and I appreciate your time. And uh, what I'd love for you to do is just to take your Bible we're going to look at a couple of passages. First of all, in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 8. That's the uh, passage where Jesus had commissioned his um, apostles to go and to preach the kingdom. So let's look at that. I'm going to be actually reading from the um, English Standard Version. So Matthew chapter 10, 7 through 8. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them to go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. That's what the English Standard Version says. So in other words, you don't charge people for the gospel. You don't charge people you know, obviously the, about the good news. Hey, I've got this um, message for you and it'll save, it'll save you. It'll turn your life around, uh, but you got to pay, you know, even though it's, it's worth more than a million dollars, praise God that it's free. Jesus, it wasn't free for him. He paid the ultimate price, didn't he? On the cross of his shed blood. But um, the specific call here is to preach the kingdom. All right. And to demonstrate it, not just to preach it, but to demonstrate it. Then when we jump down to Matthew 28, let's go there as well. Very familiar passage of scripture. We call it often the Great Commission. And it starts off verse 18 where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All right. So what I'd like to bring out in these specific passages here is that there is a call to not only preach what some people would say, well, you know, I'm preaching salvation and uh, getting people saved. But actually, Jesus told us to preach the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is inherent in the kingdom. When you read Luke chapter one, in particular, when the father of John the Baptist is prophesying, he talks all about that and how salvation comes from the kingdom. So it's interesting. Ephesians 1.13 talks about the gospel of salvation. It's the only place in the New Testament that refers to the gospel explicitly in that way. Um, the gospel of the kingdom, obviously, Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached um, throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew is highlighting Jesus as the king of the Jews, as the Messiah. So therefore, there's so much reference to the gospel of the kingdom of the king's dominion. Um, just let you guys know, please, would you be so kind as to make sure that your audio device is muted so we don't pick up any background noise? That would be much appreciated and helpful. 
Okay, I've muted some of you, but it'd be great if you would just do it so I don't have to stop teaching. Uh, appreciate that. Okay, so let's talk about the kingdom. So we're called to not only preach the kingdom, but to establish the culture of the kingdom. So when it says in Matthew 28, verses 19, verse number 19, he says to go and make disciples of the nations. Now, interestingly, in the New Testament language, if you look at verses 19 and 20, particularly of Matthew 28, you're going to see what appears to be four verbs, four action words. There's go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But in the New Testament language, there's actually only one verb or one imperative, and that is the word in, in Greek that is translated make disciples in English. So go, baptize, and teach, it, those words are actually participles. So they tell us how to support the command, the action. The action is to make disciples, but how do we support it? How do we facilitate making disciples? We go to where? To all the nations. And what else do we do? We baptize, um, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. And then we teach them to observe or to obey. And it's very interesting because that term observe is a very strong word. It means more than just to obey. It actually um, is a word that has to do with bringing your whole life into subjection. So that's, that's a great place to start. Now, understand this. He specifically says here, okay, that you go and you make disciples of the nations and you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the English Standard Version, which really brings out the original language, you'll see here, if you have open up an English Standard Version um, translation on, on a Bible app, you're going to see here that it actually has a, an asterisk which says into. So when it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, the original actually says baptizing them into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a very uh, powerful, um, no, significant um, thing to, to take notice of because he's telling us that it's not really just about, you know, dunking people and saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. There is a spiritual reality that takes place when someone really comes to that place where they make Jesus their Lord. And that baptism, which, of course, we know is to be done physically, um, it represents something spiritual as well, a spiritual experience. And it's amazing that it actually takes place when we baptize people in water, in the name of the Father, and into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. And that is, there becomes a oneness that takes place. And this is so important, guys, because when people really turn to Christ, Romans 6, verse 4 tells us what happens is they receive newness of life. And that life that we share in is the life of Jesus Christ. And Romans is very clear about that. So we experience newness of life. And that life, our life is hidden in Christ. It's hidden with Christ in heavenly places. So our life is in him and his life is in us. And how do we experience that? Um, guys, just it's something that happens when we truly come to the Lord. The Bible says that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe it's verse number 20. So there's this sense in which we become one in spirit with the Lord. And it all has to do with this. Are you ready? Number one, it has to do with intimacy or oneness, communion with God. So we become one with him, one in in the sense that we're one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Holy Spirit. It's the communion, or, you know, some 
Um, times we refer to the word koinonia, which means fellowship, communion, and it's translated as well. And we become one. Now, this is so important because we're talking about culture, establishing or cultivating kingdom culture. And you're going to see that it has to come from our place of union with him. Now, we often hear people teach, and I've heard them this has been going on for years, it's nothing new, is about our identity. We need to know who we are. That's true. But we'll never know who we are until we know who he is. We'll never know who we are until we know who he is. We'll never overcome the fear of man until we understand what the fear of God is, the reverential fear of God. Okay. And so that's very, very important. Often we focus on ourselves. It becomes an egocentric gospel where it's all about us. But in reality, it's all about him. And when we discover who he is and we really step into that place of oneness, then from oneness out of intimacy and communion, then we begin to really um, understand who we are, our identity and it begins to take shape in our lives. Christ's likeness begins to be forged in us. We begin to understand uh, and walk in who we are as sons, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that everything that we do in terms of ministry flows out of that. So the oneness happens first, intimacy. The next thing that happens is identity. And then out of identity, what happens is we have authority and that authority results in us being able to minister with effectiveness, but not just to preach or, or use our gifts, but to actually live a life where we overcome and we walk in the fullness of the spirit and, and we really experience the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ ultimately. And where the king is, he rules and he reigns. So we have to understand this in order to really begin to experience the fullness of the kingdom. All right. So the Romans had an interesting um, custom. And basically, when the Romans were ruling the ancient world, what they did was they would constantly focus on taking territory and, you know, they would conquer cities, they would conquer nations. And what they would do is after they would conquer the city of nations, they would send in a team and that team would essentially um, consist of educators, artists, philosophers, um, etc. And they would begin to teach the people, the residents of a conquered city or nation um, about the culture of Rome. So they would begin to change them. So the, the process is actually included invade, occupy, and then transform. Okay. So think of it this way. The Great Commission, we've just looked at Matthew 10, 7 and 8, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is all about that. Invade, occupy, and transform. So when we invade, what do we do? We go and we preach the kingdom. And we claim territory. You know, the earth is the Lord's. The nations belong to him. We preach the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world to all the nations, Pantata ethne, the ethnic groups of the world. And what happens is we begin to tell them about the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And, of course, he's, a, he's a, an amazing, benevolent king, and it only um, behooves us to respond in a way that will will cause us to submit fully to him and we'll receive all the benefits of, of his rule and reign in our lives. So invade, okay, preach the kingdom, you know, drive a stake in the ground. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and then occupy, begin to um, just begin to transform the culture through teaching, through, through helping people be delivered, set free, healed, you know, the renewing of the mind. And then basically it, it includes these three things. And I'll just give it to you very quickly. Number one, extend the boundaries of the kingdom, extend the boundaries of the kingdom. Number two, 
has to do with eradicating injustice and oppression. And number three, by the way, all of this comes out of embracing our uh, new identity in him, out of that oneness, as I just mentioned. And then number three has to do with educating kingdom citizens on how to live in the kingdom. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 11 and 12, Paul talks about how we have to teach people to walk worthy of the kingdom that they've been called into. So as a citizen of the kingdom, we are called to walk worthy. We are to live responsible lives and represent Christ um, as children of the king, as sons and daughters of the most high God. So extend the boundaries, eradicate injustice, oppression, you know, the work of the enemy in people's lives so they can walk in freedom and liberty, and then begin to educate them on what it is that God requires of them, who they are in him. You know, it's all about discipleship, in other words. And the bottom line is they become disciples of the kingdom. And that's what the Great Commission is to make disciples of the kingdom. Now, culture is a very interesting term. Culture actually has, has to do with the ideas, customs, and actions that define a people. And the word culture comes from the Latin, which means to cultivate, as in cultivating land so it becomes fruitful. So in other words, culture is something that has to be cultivated. And how many know that, unfortunately, um, there's also toxic culture, and that toxic culture can be in a workplace, it can be in a church, it can be in a home, it can be virtually anywhere because people are agents of change, and we have this inherent ability, part of our, our identity in, in terms of the dominion that God has given to us to bring change and transformation to the earth and to people. And unfortunately, um, if we're unsanctified, if we're unregenerated, that often results in negative change. You know, we see the power of media to transform culture, but certainly not, it's not kingdom culture. So our role is to cultivate people's hearts to become fruitful. Okay, discipleship is developing kingdom culture in people's lives, cultivating spiritual soil so they can receive the word of the Lord that will produce much fruit in their lives. Now, one of the things that I believe we have um, struggled over is this whole thing called vision and mission. And what has happened is we have, um, we've created or we've conjured or defined um, missions and visions that really aren't kingdom oriented. What I mean by that is, you know, they're often corporate, right? We, the church has borrowed um, corporate lingo, corporate models, and we've just said, well, you know, this is our mission. This is what we're called to do. This is our vision. And I get it. Um, Nothing wrong with articulating that, understanding that, and articulating that. But what if we're missing the real vision and mission? <laughs> what if Jesus already gave us the vision and mission, and we don't have to define it or design it, or you know, we we just have to embrace it? Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus did give us that vision and that mission. And that vision and mission really is that the earth would be filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would be advanced on the earth, that the nations would be discipled. In other words, guys, it's all about advancing his kingdom rule and reign so that people come into the kingdom and they begin to know him, this amazing, awesome, benevolent king who's king of kings and lord of lords. They come under his lordship, his rule and reign, and they begin to experience all of the benefits and, and blessings of being in the kingdom. And then ultimately, we begin to learn how to conduct ourselves in a way that is honorable and worthy of our calling as kingdom citizens, as sons and daughters of the king, because we've been adopted into his family. So culture 
must reinforce vision and mission. So what does it look like if our calling, if our mission is to advance the kingdom, you know, to make disciples, to see the earth transformed, to become, you know, ultimately through, through people's lives being transformed. I'm not talking about, you know, just changing systems and structures and governments. I'm saying it has to come in the heart and lives of people. That's where it starts. And that has to do with what I said earlier, people coming into a place of in him, we live, we move, we have our being, which is powerful. If you think about that, when Paul quoted that in Acts 17, in him, in Christ, in God, we live, we move, we have our being. Everything we do, all that we are comes out of that oneness of who we are in him. So that's what I, I was saying. And, and I'm just, um, you know, reiterating that really. So our mission is to advance the kingdom disciple the nations. So what does kingdom culture look like when it is established in the midst of a people? What does kingdom culture look like when it's established in the midst of a people? So culture is to a church, to a business, to a family, to a community, uh, what soil is to a plant. And we are called to the cultivation of a spiritual culture, a kingdom culture that permeates people's hearts. And as I've said, you know, obviously churches have a culture, but one of the things we have to ask ourselves is the culture of our church, our business environment, does it facilitate growth? I'm talking about spiritual growth here and life transformation. So our Mission is clear, advance the kingdom of God, which is the rule and reign of the kingdom of Jesus. And a culture, if it does not reflect the kingdom rule and reign of Jesus, if those who are part of that culture do not exemplify that and personify that, even if it's a, a really good concept, you know, um, then guess what? We're not advancing the kingdom. We are advancing something else. And it's very, very important that we recognize that, you know, we are called to advance the kingdom. We can be advancing a religious culture, a corporate culture, um, you know, a culture that is humanistic. Um, but if it's not kingdom, then the bottom line is it's not what God has called us to do. Now, I want to just mention a few things about building culture. And then I'm going to, um, we're going to stop and we're going to talk about the whole idea of understanding the core values of the culture of God's kingdom, kingdom culture values, in other words. And then we're going to look at eight specific things we can do to shift culture, to change culture, and to really ensure that kingdom culture um, becomes sustainable and ultimately brings transformation. Okay. So they're very practical steps that we can take and uh, very, very important, but we'll look at those in just a moment. But let me just share with you just some key points here about uh, kingdom culture. First of all, if you build the right culture, you will get the right outcome. Often we focus on behavior modification, getting people to do the right things rather than becoming the right people. And it's interesting when you read Matthew chapter five, which, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the Beatitudes, one of the interesting things about the Beatitudes is that it is about being, right? It's your attitude. It's how you think. Um, it's who you are, it's, it's your identity, and so on. It's not about just doing the right things. And you can do the right thing, and your heart's not in it. You know, it even says in, I think it's in First Peter chapter 1, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter talks about how we are to love one another, but he says, do it sincerely, okay, from your heart. In other words, this isn't just, hey, you do the right things. Have you seen that in a church or maybe even in, in the business where you're like, hey, man, we value, this is our culture. This is what we value. Make sure you treat people like this. Make sure you do this. Make sure. And it just becomes uh, an external thing. It's really a facade. It's not coming from the heart necessarily. And it becomes very mechanical and artificial. 
Um, uh, how many times have you seen this? For me, I've walked into churches and people that are there waiting for you to come, you know, they shake your hand, they welcome you, but it's like, is it really something um, that's coming from the heart? I don't want to judge people ultimately, but I would say that all too often it just seems, you know, that it's, it's not authentic. It's not really coming from the heart, but you can tell when you step into a culture where people genuinely love and care and celebrate others and they're happy, you know, it's not motivated by them. It's not like you're the means to an end, you know, where we, we, um, you know, use people for our own uh, goals or objectives. No, but we focus on the transformation of the heart. It all goes back to oneness in Christ, baptizing them into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit, the original Greek. They become one. And so oneness, intimacy, oneness, communion. And then out of that, you, you understand who he is, your identity, and then there's a transformation, a change that takes place, and it affects how we talk, how we live, you know, how we how we respond to people, because we're changed from the inside out. It has to come that way, and that's the difference between true biblical Christianity and you know just being a nice person. Like, oh yeah, we need to have a culture of honor. Well, yeah, that's true, but it's got to come from the heart. It has to be. The, you know, he actually says this. It's amazing. In Romans 5, Paul talks about how the love of God is poured into our heart. One translation says, shed abroad into our heart. The love of God, his love, God puts, and then it says, by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and puts God's love in our heart. Whoa so that we can love other people with his love, not our love, which is fickle, which is, you know, obviously biased in many ways, but with his love, his unconditional, perfect, sacrificial love. We love people with his love. So it all goes back to that unity, you know, and it with Christ, not just trying to do it. Okay. So if we end up um, guys, we build this right culture, which comes out of people being in the kingdom and understanding the king and who he is and being a partaker of his nature. Then what happens is we'll see the right outcomes and, it, and we won't have to fabricate it. We won't have to tell people, make sure you're friendly or do this. Or that. No, it'll happen naturally. Um, second thing I want to mention is culture eats strategy for breakfast, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. It doesn't matter how good your strategy is, your plan is, your ministries are. Um, again, you could apply this not only to the church context, but to business or whatever, family. Um, it's, and, and even if you have a compelling vision, the bottom line is, even if it's biblical, guys, even if it's a biblical vision, the bottom line is, if you have toxic culture, or a culture that is just religious, it's not a kingdom culture, then that's, that's not going to really bring lasting change. I mean, some of the greatest preachers, leaders that are the most godly men and women, you know, have struggled and, and do continue to struggle to bring change. And there's people that they don't always get and embrace the culture of the kingdom. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about that. Um, there was a time when I, Lynn and I were pastoring and we began to pick up in the spirit that there was something going on among some of the people. It wasn't many, there was a few of them. And I just knew it wasn't healthy. I knew it was division and you could sense that the spirit of God was being grieved. And as I went into prayer and I began to ask the Lord, what's going on? I heard these two words, evil suspicions, evil suspicions. First Timothy six, verse four, Paul talks about basically those whose mind is not renewed. And he says, what they do is they generate a culture where there's evil suspicions. And guys, we know that's not the culture of the kingdom. 
you know, I mean, you can be suspicious of something and, and be right on. And, and I get that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm referring to evil suspicions where you're just constantly, I wonder about that person. I wonder what they're doing, you know, and, and there was just all of this like surmising and, and thinking thoughts that were not godly. And frankly, um, it ended up, it all came out, God exposed it and it was completely rooted in selfish ambition and uh, deception, ultimately deception. So that was something that was really threatening the culture, that the kingdom culture, and it's not part of the culture of the kingdom in any way. So it's very important that we understand we have to get culture right. We can have the greatest programs, um, strategies, but as I said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. All right. The other thing about culture is that culture always trends down, not up, because we're in a fallen world. In other words, we must always continually attend to culture. Even Jesus said, you know, the vine that um, the branch that bears much fruit, he prunes it. And he recognizes that in our lives, if he just leaves us to ourselves, ultimately that's to our own demise and um, degeneration that will stop bearing fruit. And the same is true as it comes to uh, kingdom culture specifically. Culture trends down, okay? And you have to recognize that what we, who we are in Christ, particularly as leaders, is we are cultural architects. We're cultural architects. And if you do not see yourself that way, you will abdicate your leadership responsibility. And listen, the loudest voice or voices in the room will shape culture for you. Wow. Guys, it's so important that you see yourself as a cultural architect. And uh, again, strength of leadership is important. It's a good thing when it reflects the heart of Jesus. And we design the culture of, of, of the church, of, of our business, of our family on the basis of the kingdom of God. That's, that's an important thing. And so when the right culture uh, is developed or, or cultivated, the seed will grow. And listen, even though the um, atmosphere okay, uh, or the environment is harsh, it'll still grow. Okay, so I'm from Canada originally. And Canada is a country that grows an amazing amount of vegetables, specifically um, cucumbers is one thing they're known for. And they grow those cucumbers year round. How do they do that? Seeing it so cold and harsh, the climate, greenhouses. So what happens is a greenhouse basically brings protection from the outside, okay, and it puts up walls and, you know, creates an atmosphere or an environment that will cause um, the flourishing of, of these uh, vegetables, of cucumbers in particular. So, guys, that's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter how bad the world is, how bad things are around us. Families are broken. People are broken. We create the culture of the kingdom, and it flourishes and it, it's going to bring such transformation. I am, I'm shocked. You know, I'm over in Melbourne, Australia, part of Numa Church on the team here. And I've been shocked by how healthy the kingdom culture is here. And without saying specifically uh, who, there, there were some leaders that came here not too long ago from America, and they actually, in this particular ministry, even wrote a book on the culture of honor. So that may give it away. And they were blown away and said, hey, at our ministry, at our church, which is a massive church in the United States, you know, we talk about the culture of honor. We celebrate that. We, we've really tried to cultivate that environment. But we came here. And they said, we were blown away by the culture here, the culture of honor and the covenant family that is existing in, in Numa. And guys, this has been something that's been very, very intentional. Okay. So we set the tone, the atmosphere, the environment. We become a basically, uh, you know, a thermostat, not a thermometer. And we deal and we change the culture, the culture of toxicity, 
Um, we remove that. We address that. We're going to talk more about that. And then we also add layers, layer upon layer of healthy culture. Okay. So we displace and then we eventually replace. So uh, toxic culture must not be tolerated. Okay. Um, you know, we don't talk to people certain ways and we don't put up with that. Right. If your kids, you know, I've said this once or twice it's happened where our kids spoke to their mom in a certain way, disrespectfully. And I say, Hey, you don't talk to your mom like that. We don't tolerate that in our family. So this is true guys in the kingdom. We should not tolerate toxic culture. We should do everything we can to make sure that culture is uprooted and removed. And if we will band together and we'll not just be passive, see good, uh, bad doesn't become better by ignoring it. Bad doesn't become better by ignoring it. You have to address those things. You have to have the conversations. You have to confront it and you begin to change the culture by dealing with, you know, those bitter roots, pulling them up and then obviously planting good roots. All right. So I'm going to stop right there. And then what we're going to do right here is I'm going to give you guys a question and um, we're going to actually take a little, get a little bit of feedback from you. Okay. So Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12 is um, known as the Beatitudes. Okay. The Beatitudes. When you look in that passage of scripture, Jesus is speaking, of course, what does he say? What did he say? is to be valued in the kingdom based on the beatitudes what is to be valued in the okay so we're going to talk about creating kingdom culture and eight important steps okay they're involved in that and then i'm going to unpack a little bit of kingdom culture values based on what we do here at numa and uh love for you guys to to you know maybe share a little bit on that as well and begin to think about it. Okay. So here's what we need to do. We're trying to change culture. We want to um, embed the culture of the kingdom into a workplace, a family, a church, a ministry, whatever. And so there's a toxic culture or there's an incomplete culture. It's could be a good culture, but it's still not a kingdom culture. And, you know, just because people aren't fighting and, and people get along doesn't mean it's it's kingdom culture. Um, it's nice that people don't have that, but ultimately there's more to a, a kingdom culture than that. So the absence of conflict is, isn't kingdom just, right? Okay, so number one, um, clarify the present culture. Assess the present culture. Be honest. What is the the uh, reality of the present culture where is it at okay measure the gap between the current reality and the future where you want to head okay so you have to measure the gap okay so wow this is where we want to be this is where we are and then you begin to you know just analyze that in terms of what do we need to do how do we how do we get there you know where we change this okay so for example let's say um 20 of the people in your church are relational and intentional and connecting with others okay that's good but is it is it what god wants no the bible talks about all of us showing love and being hospitable so you know, there's a place where, where we need to change that as well. So we need to take that step on bringing change to that. So how do I move and shift that culture? Well, in some places, you know, they, we do the SWOT analysis. That's in the corporate world. It happens in churches too. A SWOT analysis, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your opportunities? What's your threats? That's, a, that's not a bad tool. You can begin to look at that using... Uh, a SWOT analysis to really define and clarify where the culture is at presently. Secondly, begin to clarify core values. You have to define and design those core values, and then you begin to really clarify them. In other words, what is kingdom culture? I don't know. Um, so it's kind of like, all right, so in this church, in this business, we value the culture of the kingdom. We have the culture of the kingdom of God. And then it's like, okay, so what does that look like? 
And we have no way to define that or, you know, or, or articulate that. There needs to be definition. Okay. So let me share with you at NUMA, we have eight kingdom culture values. I'm going to read them to you. And then I'm going to comment on those kingdom culture values. Just a couple of things that will help you to, to define that. Prayer fuels power. Okay. Mark 929. By the way, this, you can get all this on the website, NUMA, N-E-U-M-A dot church. So you don't have to you know, worry if you miss it. NUMA dot church. Prayer fuels power. Mark 929. God's word is our foundation. Matthew 4, verse 4. Making disciples is not optional. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Miracles are normal. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Love gives generously, John 3, 16. Freedom is a responsibility, Galatians 5, 13. Church is a covenant family, Acts 2, 44. And honor affirms value, Matthew 10, 40. There's a video on YouTube for Numa Church that um, Corey Turner senior global leader in NUMA preached called culture of, uh, I'm sorry, culture of the kingdom. You can watch that where he unpacks all eight of these. Um, I did a session. It's on a podcast in NUMA East as well. If you want to hear it from a different perspective, just look to again, NUMA.church, head to podcasts or YouTube channel and you'll find those. Okay. So here's what I want to say about kingdom culture values. First of all, it's not just prayer. Okay. So in other words, we pray, but why? Okay. It's not just the, what we do. It's, but why we do what we do. We pray because what we want to see the power of God manifested. So it's not just what we do, but it's why we do it. So God's word, we value God's word. No, we value God's word as our foundation for everything we do is to be built on the foundation of God's word, not you know, our opinions, but on the foundation of God's word, making disciples is not optional. Whoa. Oh, we make disciples. Yeah. It's not optional. I mean, we have to do this. It's a command. Miracles are normal and so on. And all of these have a specific reference, a biblical reference. We want to be able to show people it's scriptural, right? Well, why do you value that? Because it's scriptural. Now, so very, very important that you clarify core values, okay? Those are the eight core values um, or kingdom culture values, as they're called, of Numa Church. Now, let me just, we're going to kind of unpack this and go deeper. First, thirdly, when it comes to um, bringing change, bringing change to um, a culture, it's very important that we clarify our role in culture change. We clarify our role. And what I mean by that is, guys, we have to ask ourselves the honest question, am I prepared to pay the, to pay the price for leading change? Now, there's been several times in our life in ministry where we've been offered a specific position, um, take a church, for example, and I ended up grossly miscalculating how much, how toxic the culture was. And I got in there and I went, whoa, that is way worse than what I thought it would be. There have been times, however, where I have been able to kind of get a read on the culture and go, you know what? That's going to take me 10 years to change that culture. No, I don't think so. Okay, I'd rather plant a church. Easier to give birth than raise the dead. Then sometimes you look at a situation and you go, wow, that culture is so toxic. It's so embedded. It's so, you know, inflexible that I could spend the best years of my life trying to change that culture. Could be in a workplace again. Could be... Um, even in a relationship, if you're thinking getting married and it's the wrong person, meaning there's such a toxic culture there, um, a church, a ministry. Yeah, I could spend, I mean, the best years, your time, your energy, 
and still not see change. Wow. Again, it's easier to start the new. You know, I think it was um, Socrates that said that many years ago, the, tr- the way of bringing transformation and change, it's not to change the old, but just basically start something new. So very important. Okay. Know this, that most opportunities that come your way are not God opportunities. Whoa. Did I just say that? <laughs> I did. Most opportunities that come your way are not God opportunities. Very, very important that you understand, is God calling me to do this? Don't compromise. Know if God's calling you to do it. And look, if he's calling you, he's going to give you the strength, the capacity, the, uh, you know, ten, that what it needs to bring change. But please understand that the reality is that a lot of, of what has become so toxic today is, is going to be hard to change. A lot easier, as I said, to give birth and raise the dead. <clears throat> okay. Understand that if God is calling you to do it, that, you know, he's going to help you. But really, don't jump on anything. Don't compromise. Just really seek the Lord. Okay. Just when you're getting ready to quit. Okay. In other words, when you've been talking about shifting the culture and you've been preaching on here are our values and this is why we do what we do and you're like it's old to you you're tired guys usually at that point people are just starting to get it (laughs) it takes time to change culture okay even when you're planting or beginning something it still takes time because you people that come in with their own ideas and their own culture but stick with it and uh and you can, you know, eventually shift the culture. All right. You may not keep everyone. There may be people that leave and that's necessary because they, they don't want to embrace that culture. Um, that's okay. Especially when they're honest about it. Hey, I just don't like this. I don't believe that miracles are normal. True story happened in a church where someone we knew, a couple, were basically cessationists. And they're like, oh, we love the preaching here, but man, we don't believe in miracles today. We don't believe in speaking in tongues or whatever. And so we had that conversation. They ended up leaving. That's okay. They were honest about it. Um, Very, very important. If you have a team, if you have employees, very important to hold them accountable to change. Okay. Hold them accountable to change. Have the conversations. The team member who is not embracing culture, okay, you need to address that. Identify toxicity in the culture. And um, the attitude obviously needs to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And and don't just make people comply um, outwardly, but obviously you want it to come from the heart, as I mentioned earlier. So there needs to be a change of heart. And so disciple people into that space, right? Like this isn't just about you complying and coming into agreement and and what's the word conforming, but this is about your life being transformed. So this comes out of your heart naturally, um, you know, as, as part of who you are in Christ. Um, Choose people that will help you cultivate kingdom culture. Those that have the ability to discipline themselves, in other words, they're the guys, they want to learn it. They're like, yep, they're modeling it. You can see them, they're getting it. And by the way, don't just appoint people to a leadership position um, without having them tested, because obviously uh, appointing is easy to do. Disappointing is very hard to do. So get people involved, watch them, just let them serve, interact with them, and you'll begin to pick up very easily those who actually are embracing um, the values or the kingdom culture. And uh, you can, you can work with them eventually as well, and even appoint them to leadership. Start off with the small, right? Okay. And then are you ready for this number? uh, Number four. Okay. Number four, um, live the culture change you want to see live the culture change you want to see obviously we need to become the culture change don't call people to something that you yourself are not doing there's a word for that hypocrite okay we have two standards um guys we have to ask ourselves and be honest am i hindering the culture or am i helping the culture Am I doing things where, hey, I'm really not even embracing the culture myself? 
Okay, number five, teach on kingdom culture. Bleed the values through every form of communication. Repeat, repeat, repeat. As I said earlier, when you're getting bored, typically they're just getting it. Okay, so teach on it, communicate on it, um, different ways, socials, so many different ways, different contexts. Doesn't I don't mean just by sermons. You can just share things, even in conversations with leaders and and others in the church. It doesn't even have to be leaders. Okay, sixthly, celebrate kingdom culture. Celebrate kingdom culture. When you see kingdom culture um, activated in action, applaud it because what you applaud sends a message that this is valued. Okay, what you applaud says, hey, this is valued. What you honor provides focus and uh, very, very important, okay? And when you see people who are really advancing the kingdom, they're they're walking in, they're exemplifying, and they're helping um, cultivate kingdom culture, celebrate them. We used to do that. We would do a thing where we would celebrate people who really were getting it. Once a month, we give them a gift certificate or something. And we do that here at NUMA. We have a thing once a month called Leaders Advance, and we highlight one of our volunteers, uh, not really our staff members, but our volunteers, um, for what they're doing to you know, really embrace the culture and, and be exemplary in their, their lifestyle, their commitment to Christ. Okay. Seventh, brand core values everywhere, socials, core values in team meetings. Um, it, it's all, it, as I said, it has to be in people first, but brand it. I mean... You know, we used to even put things on the wall. You know, the, God told the Jews to do that and put it on their forehead, whatever. And and it's true. Like, get it, okay? And just brand it, communicate it, speak about it, and and tell them why, obviously. And then lastly, number eight, check and recheck on the culture. Review it quarterly. Where are we at with our core values? Are people getting it? Are they embracing it? Um, is our culture changing? Is it becoming less and less toxic and more and more kingdom? Because obviously, we have to understand that shifting culture is not uh, an event. It's a process. It requires changing the default settings of the culture. Okay. For example, you have a Word document, and when you open up a Word document, the default font size might be 12 or 14, whatever it is. But unless you change the default settings, every time you open up uh, Microsoft Word, the default setting will be 12. You know, it will revert back to the original. And that's the same with culture. It will revert back to the original culture, which may not be healthy uh, unless you bring change to that. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about The Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.